Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plains And the mountains in reply Echoing their joyous strains This, um, this is also the season where I'm always afraid I'm going to catch on fire up here. So if I do, then just tell me, <laughs> and uh, it'll save us save us a lot of trouble. Um, but this, we, what we've been doing over this last season during Advent is we've picked out several hymns um, and have looked at the texts from the Bible that actually give words. To some of the hymns that we sing every year and that we know and love. Most all of them uh, that we sing regularly are, are just steeped in scripture. And so this has been a chance for us to highlight some of these hymns to talk about them, but, um, but to look at the biblical text that lay behind them. Um, and this morning we get to do a little bit of a different one. I've always loved this hymn, uh, but this is actually a Christmas hymn because uh, this is the first day after Christmas. So the, all of the hymns we've looked at so far have been Advent hymns. And that just means that they were hymns that are looking forward um, um, to the time uh, when Jesus would come. But this morning we get to do a different one and that we actually get to, we sing a hymn and we get to unpack a hymn that celebrates um, the Christ that who did come. And we get to celebrate that he is the God who comes and that there will be a day that will come again where we will sing together as uh, all around the throne of the God who came again. So this is a this is a a wonderful Sunday in the church calendar. Uh, the hymn, this hark, uh, not hark, the herald angels sing. Angels we have heard on high. It's an old uh, French carol uh, that nobody knows the origin of it, but the the translation that we have today comes from uh, the 19th century. Uh, but in when it speaks of the mountains um, in reply, um, echoing in reply, it is echoing from Isaiah chapter 55. And so we are going to look at that text. I'll read it in a second. Uh, we also have, um, you might have noticed that I included Luke 2 in here again for the second Sunday in a row, and that is because this song also talks about that text. And so we're going to be holding them both side by side, and that way you have both in the worship folder. And we're also going to be looking at the text, The Angels We Have Heard on High. So if you can do that juggling act and hold all of this together, um, then maybe it'll make sense uh, by the end. Uh, But let me pray for us before we dive in, um, and then I'll read Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, Jesus, we, uh, this morning, we do gather here and we celebrate. Uh, We celebrate the fact that you came. Uh, We had a wonderful day yesterday remembering. Uh, But we ask today that you would, um, we once again ask that you would open up our hearts to be able to hear the good news, because we cannot hear it unless you help us. But we know that you uh, long to do that. And so we look forward to what you're going to do within us this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Let me read this. This is Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving need to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, As I was reflecting on this this week, um, especially this hymn, um, Angels We Have Heard on High, which... Um, one of the things that's funny, there's just a not enough good reform sermons about angels. So this was kind of a, I mean, why not? And this is kind of a fun thing uh, to jump into and to think about today. But it, all of this is about God's desire and motion um, of revealing himself to his people. And when you think about it, um, you know, we all know, that the, I think some of the people that are the most uncomfortable for us to be around, we can think about that for just a second, are those that are just kind of hard to read, uh, that you might hang out with them and say something, but not get a lot of feedback, and you're kind of wondering what's going on there. I have been accused of this uh, many, many a times, but it kind of makes us uncomfortable. Like, whenever there is not a forthright, um, I guess, revelation, for lack of a better, better word, that's the parallel I'm making here, um, it, it, it's kind of hard to know our place in front of people. It can make us self-conscious, It can make us start to wonder about their motives, what they're up to, and maybe we can even apply sinister motives that, you know, they are kind of arrogant, like stuck up, like I don't know what is going on with that person. And I think in some ways, um, if we're really honest, that our relationship with God here on earth now can feel a little bit like that. Because a lot of the things of God are hidden. And a lot of the things in life we go through and we don't know what he's up to. Uh, we're looking to him, we're asking, what is it that you want me to get out of this right now? Like, why is this here? Am I having to go th- through this right now? What's the rhyme or reason? What does all this mean in the end? 
And we're looking to God and we're asking. And sometimes we don't know. It is hard to know what is in his mind and what is thinking. His ways are higher than our ways, our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And it can become very easy uh, to become self-conscious and anxious and even to apply motives to him. That this is what he might be up to. Think about the flip side of this. The people who are the most fun to be around, I think, are the people who just wear their heart on their sleeve. Like, they're bubbly, they're out there, they'll react, they'll laugh, they'll cry to anything. Um, They're just refreshing people to be around. Even if you disagree with the things that they're saying, you know exactly where you are. And you get to see their processes. And it is inviting. And it invites us in. And we just love being around that kind of person. It's a very special gift and special personality. And what I want to propose here, what God is doing here, is that this is a great example of where God is not distant. And he is not holding himself afar. He's not withholding his communication from us. He's not withholding his will from us about what he is about. But this is a wonderful story. When we combine um, these different passages together, what we see, I think, is a God who is absolutely excited to share what he is up to. We get to see God's emotions come out in the things that we see happening here. And this is the thing where he wants us to invite us in. He wants us to see He wants us to see his will, what he is up to. He wants us to see the big picture of the story that he is weaving. And he wants us to take comfort in that. Um, So, and the question to transition in is, so what then is he excited about? And I'm going to break this down into three ways. Um, I'll have to explain when we get in there. But I think this all is about a new creation. I think in the first place, he's announcing a new creation. In the second place, that he is actually overseeing a new creation. And in the third place, he's populating a new creation. Uh, But I'll explain those as we go. But let's jump in here to Isaiah 55 in the first place. um, That that, um, God is actually excited to announce a new creation to his people. And we don't see that here in the Luke 2 passage, but Isaiah 55 gives some background. If you'll look here at the end of all these verses, look at the language starting in verse 10. Um, of the things that he is describing, that for the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's starting to give these metaphors of creation that with him, uh, that there is life, that what he is about to do, that life springs forth from this. And all of this is connected with the arrival of the servant of God, who's in the heir of David with whom he has made an everlasting covenant. This is the end of a section, if you know the book of Isaiah, that's talking about the servant of God. The servant of God that was prophesied, that would come, that would suffer um, on our behalf, um, but that he would execute God's will. He would make atonement for sin. Um, and this is the fruit of what Isaiah is, ex- is describing, what would, come, what would come of this. But going on further, we get this announcement of, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and even the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing. Which, like in this metaphor, metaphorical way, we see all of this vision of all of creation working together in the way that it was designed, giving praise to his maker. It's like even the foundations of the earth can feel that something is happening, and they're breaking forth in praise. That this is a good thing that is coming to pass. 
And lastly, these, this wonderful uh, picture of new creation, that instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. If you catch it, these are symbols of the old creation, the thorns and the, sisle, the thistles and the briars that came forth when Adam and Eve fell into sin. These are the symbols of the old world that rather than just being, you know, cleared away, that they actually are transformed into a new and evergreen thing. A, a living plant like that you would have in a garden that is always green, that never goes bad. You can just see like there's an energy through this of looking forward to this time when this servant would come, this time when the heir of, the heir of Jesse would come, the heir of uh, David would come. And there would be this period of where of new creation. And there are these promises of new creation that is a, a wide, wide, wide scale that is looked forward to and anticipated. And then what do we get in Luke 2? In Luke 2, when Jesus is sent, who is the true heir to the throne of David, the very son of God, that the, the angels come and it's like they part the heavens open and they give us this view of a heavenly chorus of what is going on just on the other side of the veil. They are announcing that this time has now come, that the, the servant is here. The new creation has arrived in a way right now. And so what this heavenly chorus, I think, does is it gives us a picture of a simultaneous reality that is going on with the reality that you and I see every day. I mean, you and I, every day, we see briars, and we see thorns, we see thistles, we see the aspects of the old world. And yet what God wants us to see, what he wants us to announce, that with the arrival of this figure, that the new creation, in a way, has come right now. That we are living in, and what this is a theological term, the overlap of the ages. That there is a period between Christ's comings when both worlds exist simultaneously. The old world and the new world at the same time. It begins with Jesus. Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation. It is through him that he has ushered in this new thing. And just to give an, an illustration, um, some, I remember using this a long, long time ago. But I, I, my last year of college... I lived in a house um, on Lookout Mountain with uh, four other college guys. And after we moved out of this house, they tore the whole thing down and built a new house. <laughs> I don't know if it's cheaper to build a house than to clean up after five college guys or whatever, but that's, it, was a, it was a bad house. But I remember the image that sticks with me is I remember driving past it and it was, you know, they were in the process of tearing it down and there were boards everywhere and, you know, partial walls sticking up and stuff like that. And it, it looked like junk. But then driving past back, a di- you know, a little while later, then, I mean, similar situation. There are partial walls up, there's boards everywhere, there's trash all over the ground, but it's in the process of being rebuilt. That this is a movement that is going in a different direction. It might look the same at the moment. But even with, there's a sense in which as soon as the contractor comes and sets foot on that property with the plans to make a new thing, this whole project is moving in a different direction. This is a movement of new and recreation. It is no longer bound by the destruction of the old creation.
And this is what's happening with Jesus, that the king has arrived. He has set foot on the land, that this time period has come right now. And so what we are living in is he, we are being oriented to a time and a space that we actually, as God's people, can look forward to and we can enjoy the first fruits of the new creation, being Christ and his work. And I think this gives us a lot of hope. In some ways, it's comforting because we do experience the briars and the thorns and the thistles and all the things attached to the old world all the time. I mean, they're frustrating. Like, there is not a day that goes past that is not labor and frustration in some way. There's not a day that goes past where things break, our bodies break, um, all the things that were never supposed to happen. But the God whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, who sent his son Jesus to us to start this new period in history and in time, we have hope that in somehow, in a way, even though we don't understand in this divine drama, that all of the things that are happening right now, they're going in a very different direction than they seem. This invites us in. This invites us into faith. And this invites us into hope and invites us into curiosity. In a ways that in addition to giving us comfort, this also gives us work to do. That if we are a people of a new creation right now, then it means even the labors that we give right now, in some way, they are counting towards what is coming. It's not wasted time that we're given. And there's a way in which if we only see good works in the term of are you a good boy or a bad boy? Or are you a good girl or a bad girl? Like, is this, if this is just signifying where we stand before God, I think we miss the bigger point. And that we have been given a gift of a new creation we get to live in right now. And it makes me think, like, you know when we're kids and we just, we, build, we built forts, like, out of sheets in the living room just because they were there. There's, like, there's these objects were there to be used and manipulated and new things made out of, and it was just enjoyable and it was fun. And this announcement, this announcement of God is God wants us to see that just behind the veil, if we could only see what he is up to, that we would see that everything is being made new, that we are actually living in the part of a new creation. And in fact, the last thing I'll say on this point, God might be the only being in America now who is actually excited about what is happening around the world. And I don't mean that to minimize the frustration and minimize the pain that we see. But I do mean that to say that if we only saw things from his perspective, that there is a party going on in heaven of joy, that everything is funneling towards the throne room of the land, the Lamb, and it will end there. And that does give us hope. That challenges us to joy. That challenges us to lean into where we are even in our suffering, to suffer forward in hope of what God is doing. But that's only the first point, that God is announcing a new creation. But if we pay attention even further, how he accomplishes this is is very unique and it is very special. And that is not only is God describing a new creation, not not only is he giving us these details of what is going on, he is actually affecting it right now in a very particular way that he is actually overseeing all of the events that are happening right now closer to us than we think. And look into this. Let's go back to um, Isaiah 55 and just ask the question, how is it that God accomplishes these things? And if you'll, if you'll see here again, 
Um, for starting in verse 11, you know, verse 10 can give some context. He's just so, just as the rain and the snow, they come down from heaven and they don't return, but, um, but water the earth, making it bring, it bring forth and sprout. This In verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And that the agent that accomplishes this new creation is the word God. And let me unpack a little bit what this means. What this means in Isaiah, what he is looking forward to is that he's talking about the divine decrees of God. This is God's divine will that he, and we think about it in terms of creation. So he speaks and he forms everything that exists. He forms our environment that we live. He speaks his commands to us. He affects us in what he commands us to do. And he also gives promises. He gives promises of of hope and a blessing, uh, things that we can cling on to. This is the word of God, his will that is revealed and is communicated to us. And there's a sense when we think about the word of God that we are thinking about the Bible. Like this is, we call the Bible the word of God because this is, this is the written down, the contents of the story of what God has given to us to describe what he is up to and what he is about. It's describing what he has done. It's describing what his will is for us. It's describing what his promises are for us. And there's a sense in which that in itself is very effective. I mean, when we are overwhelmed by the fact in God's word of how he sticks with his people again and again and again and again in steadfast love, that does more than just describe something for us. It affects something in us. It affects the very core of our being, of turning it to trust him and turning it to hope. And when it convicts us, when it speaks into our lives, like that conviction, it actually does something. And when it makes promises, it actually um, affects um, the world. That's what it's intended to be. But the miracle of Christmas is not just that we are given the Bible. But the miracle of Christmas is that this whole story is pointing forward how God would execute all of his will through his word. And that is, to put it in the words of one of my good friends, is that the word of God has now a face. And that when God sent Jesus into the world, that Jesus is actually the full fulfillment of the will of God sent to us. He reveals the whole plan of God to us. He accomplishes what God wants to accomplish. And in that sense, we call Jesus, when John refers to Jesus as the word of God, this is what he's talking about. And that Jesus is the glorious and wonderful and perfect son of God who did not stay in heaven, but was willing to enter into the mess of this real world humbly as a little baby. But not only that, he was able to take on all of the effects, the crown of thorns, all of the effects of the old world onto himself. And so that he could bring it to the cross and he could declare that it is finished. Jesus is not just instructions to us. This is why Jesus, you know, Tim Keller likes to say, the gospel is not good advice, it is good news. Because it is about the word of God. In Jesus, God has accomplished what he wants to accomplish. And that means a lot of things for us. This reveals a lot of things about the, word, the will of God for us. It tells us that God never intended to leave his wayward people forever. 
But his will was to come as the rescuer to get them and to redeem them and to bring them back to himself. His will was not to make everybody pay for the sins that they deserved. But his will was to take that on himself. That he would be the redeemer. That he would set people from their sins. That he would offer grace and mercy through himself. It reveals to us when we are suffering that he was the one who was willing to enter into that suffering so he could be there with us. That we actually have a special fellowship and a partnership with him in our suffering. And that through that, he reveals to us that not even death, O death, where is thy sting? Jesus speaks all the time just in who he is. It doesn't take an angelic chorus to show up to show us what the will of God is, is that we have Jesus. Jesus speaks all the time of the heart of God. But not only does he just speak and does he reveal, but he accomplishes that for which he came. And that when Jesus here can declare that you have peace with God, it is true. It is true right now. He has taken sin and death and he has taken it to the cross and he has declared it is finished, it is done. There is peace with God. There is access with the Father. In his resurrection, Jesus is actually the first fruits of the new creation. He goes with us everywhere that we go, that we have him in our spirit, and that we actually have fellowship with the beacon of the new creation. He has fundamentally changed the relationship between, between the new creation and the old creation. That he is able to take his people and declare even the vilest evil thing, that this is now a new thing. You are not characterized by that anymore, but you have been made new, and that is true even today. He is able to mend relationships. He is able to convict us of sin and call us back. He is able to bring his people to forgiveness uh, where there has been great injustice. Jesus is the revelation of God's word, And he has also the power who accomplishes everything for which he purposed. And this is what we're celebrating here at Christmas. This is what the angels want us to see. And the angels are having a party in heaven because the Son of God has come. Because what God always wanted to do from the end has now been accomplished. And he wants to invite us into the party. And that brings us to the last point. And I think if you noticed in Isaiah 55 that a lot of this whole passage, you know, this is only half the passage that has been describing these good things that are going to come through Jesus. But what does it say again and again and again what the will of God is? It says, come. Why do you eat that which does not satisfy? Why do you labor for that that will not last and that will not satisfy? He has laid out a feast for his people, and he invites us all to come. So one writer puts this, well, I think it's in, I put it in the uh, quote in the beginning of your worship folder, which I just love the image, that the gates of the city of God stand open, a banquet is spread, no money is needed, the rich fare is free, and all that remains is for the invited guests to come. And that's, that's good news, but I want us to ask the question, why would that not why would we not take him up on that? Like, why is that hard for us to do? Because for some reason, it actually is. And everything is set. Total access is free. 
um, his grace is spilled out abundantly for us. And yet, there's a way in which we don't want it, that we would rather provide something for ourselves. And I think that can look like uh, several different things. I think in each one of us, it might apply a little bit different, differently. But there's a sense in which, you know, I've been thinking about food a lot because this is, I'm on this, the, the, the stage of Christmas where I'm tired of eating. Um, and I'm looking forward to being hungry again. Uh, but this is not about the Christmas feast. So I, I thought of, y'all remember there are these, those restaurants where you can like build your own bowl of food. You know, you can, and they're like, they'll fry it up for you and whatever. Uh, here's the sensation. You go into those places and it looks like a huge smorgasbord and it is terribly exciting. And they can say, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. And I'll eat the meal and come away like just gratuitously full and almost none of them have been rememberable at the end of the day. I mean, it's just, you know, stomach taking over random stuff that is piled together in a bowl that doesn't really work at all. It's just feeding an appetite. But there have been several times, not several times, but you, if a few times going to a really nice restaurant and somebody who knows what they're doing lays out a, a, even in a, the smallest portion, the most wonderful food that you can taste that you don't even know what is in it and it is not stuff I might have ever chosen. But those are memorable. And I think there's a sense in which us, in a, even in our own cravings, there are things that we just want. Like, I want this. I need this right now. This is the recipe for me to be happy. I need the season of waiting to be ended so that I can have relief and I can be happy. I need this relationship. I need this, that, or whatever. And what the cravings of what we want, they turn into this obsession that me, I have to have what I want right now. And what Jesus is offering is that even though it might seem counterintuitive, that the things that we want are not always the things that we want. There are things that he is offering that go much deeper, that are far more satisfying. They, they reach into the depths of our being and to our souls. And what he wants us to see in the good news is he wants us to see the feast. Not to be mean. I mean, repentance is not a bad word. What he wants us to do is he wants us to see all this junk that we're eating for what it is. Because he wants us to have something far better. Something that'll stick. Something that'll be truly memorable at the end of the day. So the only barrier to feasting on this, honestly, is our own pride. God is not the barrier. We are the barrier. God has taken down the barrier between heaven and earth. And he is inviting all of his people to come. That we can eat deeply. And we can be satisfied. We will have something that will last and that will be memorable. So this is our prayer at the end. This is the good news that's being proclaimed from heaven. This is the good news that was proclaimed in Isaiah long ago. And this is the thing that we are celebrating right now. Is that there is a feast that is spread. There is a feast where weak and hungry people who are consumed by our own desires have something that we can actually come eat. And that will actually last and will actually be satisfying. But we pray that God, through his spirit, that he would give us ears that are attentive, 
to be able to hear, to be able to hear this message of good news. And we pray that he would work the humility in our hearts, that we would long for that. We would be able to put aside these things that don't satisfy and that we would yearn for him. Let me stop and pray uh, that this year that he would do that for us. Your Father, I pray just that. I pray that you would give our ears the kind of attention to be able to hear the good news. I pray that the longings in our spirits, that they would lead us to you and that you would save us from ourselves, that we would not lead ourselves astray. I pray that you would give us all this year the humility that we would look to you and that we would find the, the, uh, the thing that, that is actually filling, that we truly need. In Jesus' name, amen.